again, uh, this is not school. This is church. Please feel free to get up. Go partake of snacks. It's fine to bring them in here. Um, Taylor's off next week because Tatros are going to be well. <laughs> so if you make a mess, it's not on Taylor. No, I'm just kidding. Just kidding. Please feel free anytime. So glad that you came this morning. There's some faces we haven't seen for a long time that may or may not have actually be part of this faith community. They're just, they're, they just come bless us with their presence every now and again. We're so happy. You and you and you, and I'm not going to mention names because I think this is being recorded. So glad that you came. So uh, let's start with the slides. There's one. Back to Church Sunday. Please let me again be the first to say, welcome back. My wife and I have never understood church season, but we know Nevada has church season. Church lets out on Memorial Day and starts again on Labor Day. We don't get it, but it just seems to. So, hi. <laughs> hey, uh, just a bit ago, you were, you learned or you were reminded that God is a really, really good father. God is good. God is good. He is always good. He's never not good. He loves his church so much. You know, he wrote a whole vision and a whole plan for his church to co-manage the earth in partnership with him, himself, intimate partnership. See, he's still about, he is still all about accomplishing his vision and his plan. He needs his church in order to do that. It was never not a partnership, and it still is a partnership. But you see, the church that God designed is not the churches we know and see today, by and large, including this one. Those churches were created under man's interpretation, man's vision, man's ideas, and man's structures. That's not the church God wants. Though he loves it, it's not the church he wants. He wants his church. <laughs> so I'm going to, I'm welcoming you to back to church Sunday, and I'm going to try to help us all Welcome. I just want God to welcome us back to church, the one that he created. Frankly, I think he's quite tired of the church that most of us call church. I think he's bored, too. So what does a good, good father do with that? Does he punish, condemn criticize not the good good father I know never see he sent his son so that that never needs done again his death burial and resurrection and ascension took care of all punishment all condemnation all shame 
A really, really good father, I think, probably roams the earth searching for hearts loyal to him and his ways. If that sounds familiar to you, it's because it's in the Bible. He eagerly, wholeheartedly, lovingly hunts for people who are hard after his design for church. And when he finds even just a seed of that, just a little kernel of it, he gets very involved, nurturing and blessing that. God is way better than you think he is. God is way better than you think he is. It, it's a, I grew up in Montana. We were taught early how to start a fire when all you have is a piece of flint or a little piece of steel. Anybody ever get taught that or see it on a movie? How do you start a fire with a little... You, you run around, you try to gather up the finest, driest tinder you can find, right? And then you just try to flick a spark into it, and if you can get just a little puff of smoke, just a, just a little tiny seed of some fire, of some flame, then you blow on it, blow on it, blow on it, right? And then poof, that orange stuff comes up, and you start adding small sticks, and you start adding bigger sticks, and then you start adding... And the next thing you know, if you're a man, you got half the forest in there. And if you're hunting, every 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 big game animal within a ten mile radius is long gone because no, I'm just I got a little out of hand there. But do you see what I'm saying? That's God. When God can find that little spark, just that little flame, no matter how dry we are, no matter how Worn out we are. If you can just get that spark to put in, the next thing you know, the Holy Spirit of God, the Ruach of God is blowing on that. The next thing you know, he'll add some more fuel to it. Scriptures, connection, worship. And the next thing you know, the next thing you know, the hearts are turned toward the Father. And the next thing you know, he starts doing stuff like healing people like raising the dead, like proclaiming liberty to the captives, like, like really shouting out, hey, no, 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 this is not, this, you're not, no. Things are not falling apart. This is the acceptable year of the Lord. Things are coming together. Yeah. His kingdom come. And the next thing you know, the next thing you know, the next thing you know, minds get transformed. And then people get transformed, and then people groups get transformed, and then the city gets transformed, and then nation gets transformed. It's happened in history. How come, well, how about we just let it happen again? I'd be okay with me. I think God would love to have his church back. Hey, did you happen to notice I never once talked about a building? The word that is translated as church as a building only occurs once in the Bible. And the root word there is basilica. One time. Maybe twice. It's certainly not what Jesus talked about ever. It's that weird looking word to the right. Most of you in this room have heard this. 
The word that means God's design for church and is translated as church is entirely different. It's that word that you see on the screens, ecclesia. Let's take a deeper look into that with the next slide. In the original source language, this is what ecclesia, or ecclesia, depending on how you want to say it, actually really means. And everybody who knew that, who lived in that time knew that. It really does literally mean a legislative assembly or a governmental term. It's not a religious term at all. It's a political and governmental term. It's a group of people who have been summoned and gathered together to govern the affairs of a city, but not via traditional systems or civics or political offices or political processes. There's a new king on the earth. There's a new king in the earth. There's a kingdom that has come. It's the government of the king. That shall reign forever. For Jesus to use this term means he is giving the keys of governmental authority in his kingdom to the church. But we don't get to just run out and declare and proclaim and boss that like we're all somebody. No, it requires proximity. You have to get close to the king to get his blessing, to get his authority, to get his power. You have to obey the king. You have to do the things. You have to live life the king's way. Live life how the king says to live life. Think like the king thinks. The Bible says we can do that. We can acquire the mind of Christ. The Bible says we can live from that. All over the earth... Today, I can tell you this for absolute certain because of other ministries in which Jerry and I are involved. I can tell you that all over the earth, God is finding right now clumps of people with yielded hearts after him and after his way of life, his vision, his plan, his set of values, his heart, his lordship. And when he finds such people, he really does invest governmental authority in them, authority over a geographic area. Authority over the unseen realm. Authority over evil. Then he really does nurture, correct, admonish, teach, coach, and guide those people. He really does actively and personally. And he really does bless them with the courage and the resources and everything else they and the generations that follow them need. He really does. It's really true. How do we know that? Because we're seeing it. I dare say Joy Church is one such clump. We have paid a dear and heavy price to get and keep his attention these last seven years. And we're ready to pay way more. Way more. In order to receive and do his way more. The way more of God. 
That's the church you have come to this morning. Contrary to popular church belief, I am not here to serve you. I am here to serve him. The more and better I do that, the more and better you will be served. For though I may love you like crazy, my love for you does not even begin to touch the depth and richness of God's love for you. God's vision for you. God's plan for you. God's destiny for you. God's love for you. God's authority he wants to give to you. The generations who follow you. Uh, How dare I think I could minister that? I am to provide you clear access to a good, good Father. His way, His truth, His life. God is way better than you think He is. So what is church? Well, I will read to you our current definition. This you can find on the joychurch.life website. This is taken verbatim, word for word, from what it says on our website. We believe that the church is comprised of any person anywhere in the world who puts faith in Jesus and submits to his lordship. The church itself is people who are empowered by God's spirit to be part of the mission of God here on earth. The church is one global community but has smaller local expressions or faith communities called churches. Each local church expression has a unique personality. We see beauty in that diversity. We believe that the church does not exist for itself, but exists as a community of worshipers who are here to serve others and be change agents. As Jesus told us to be his light, his love, his compassion, kindness, and hope to the world around us. us. That's our definition of a church of God's church currently. He can change that anytime he wants because he is the head of the church. Jesus is the head of the church. So what makes Joy Church Joy Church? I'll do my very best to give you an accurate picture of what we believe God wants to express in the earth through this local faith community. I'll start with some phrases we've been saying over and over for years. They're far from empty phrases. Instead, they constitute some of the very roadbed that we run on. Here they are. They're on your screens. I'm going to say them out loud, even though a pet peeve of mine is when somebody reads PowerPoint slides to you. Years and years and years ago, he said so clearly, you build my kingdom I'll build my church. Without God, we can't. It's a partnership. Without us, his wider church, he won't. We must get the church out of the church so as to be the church. Building big people is building a big church. Skirt prayer ain't no prayer. We pray bold, we pray big, we pray crazy, we pray, well, kind of like God says to. 
Church, holy people going to a holy place to do holy things? I think not. Holy people going to unholy places among unholy people. Do that, that's probably where you'll find Jesus. Because that's where he goes. We love you as you are. We accept you as you are. We forgive you as you are. We really do. We embrace you as you are this exact minute. And anybody else. And we love you way too much to let you say that way. Because God has a better idea. God has a bigger idea. Years ago, we articulated a very clear vision and a very clear mission. For years, we have stated it and restated it. Habakkuk said, write the vision down, make it plain, people will run to it. Make it plain, people will run to it. That's what we did. It's still there. You can access it anytime. We have stated it repeatedly and clearly for seven solid years. We'll continue to do so, but not today. Because though people eventually become interested in and motivated by vision and mission, <laughs> our first need as people is connection, is affiliation, is assimilation, is community, is one another. God put that in us. Every church, every family, and every people group for that matter develops a culture your family of origin had a family culture. It was unwritten, probably mostly unspoken, but your family of origin had a culture. Wherever you work or wherever you play or whatever you, wherever you do volunteer work, every one of those people groups has a culture. It probably wasn't developed with intention or proactively. It probably evolved organically over time without a lot of divine intervention. It probably is a man-created culture. It probably, like most family cultures, are developed out of a need to survive, a need to somehow create balance of some kind, even if it's distorted balance, like a mobile, or just to cope. A lot of cultures just to figure out how to navigate life. Does that make sense? A lot of heads nodding, but I didn't hear any. Yeah, okay, yeah. <laughs> That's not like kingdom culture. Kingdom culture, the structure is very well articulated. It's very simple to follow. The culture of the kingdom, the culture of heaven is very well known, very well stated, and very, very simple to learn. Created a handout. It's up here. I'm tempted to have somebody pass it out, but I'm not going to. Because Jesus never, ever spoon-fed people. He always asked people 
to take the first step. The man with the withered hand, stretch out your arm. The man who'd been down all that time, pick up your and walk, and so forth. So it's there. You want to know Joy Church's culture and everything about it? It's best I can do to state what you're getting into. It'll tell you what's the culture here. What are you part of? What are your leaders working toward developing? Today on Back to Church Sunday, we'll describe the culture that is here now in many ways, and we will grow over time. Kingdom culture is not remotely similar to natural culture. The culture of heaven is knowable, it's teachable, it's doable, but it isn't our normal. It's God's normal. The normal of God is way different from the normal of man. What does it look like? Well, it looks like this. First of all, culture eats strategy for breakfast and vision for lunch. If your culture doesn't support your strategy, one or the other will give, and it will always be the strategy and the vision, because the culture always wins. How many places and times and things have you been involved in where you've seen this come true? The leaders really do have a great vision. The managers, the directors, the vice presidents, the whoever, the pastor, have this awesome vision, but you come back five years later and (laughs) you can't even find it. That's because culture wins. Thank you so much for picking up that handout. Thank you for taking it. Thank you for reading it. Thank you. I hope that you'll digest it. I hope that you'll argue with it. I hope that you'll ask questions. I hope that you'll bug us and say, what did you mean by this? Or how are you you actually doing that? I hope that you'll actually invest in discussing it. Because by that process, it may turn out we can actually make it better. Because it's just as much your church as it is my church because it's, after all, Jesus' church. For years, I was a ski instructor. One of the techniques that I used, one of the key things about ski, about skiing, getting better at skiing, is position. Because out of position, you acquire balance. And remember, when we're little tiny kids, like or who are here today, remember when your little one began to walk? It was so strange because, first of all, to be upright was very weird because this thing weighed way more than the rest of the body. And it was like, whoa, it was very top-heavy. And uh, next, to learn to walk, here's what you do. you got to launch your nose, and then your feet catch up. That's really how it works. Well, skiing is totally different. Think about it. You point these slick things downhill, and they go, whoop, like that. And you got to catch it, see, because it's backwards of walking. 
So you learn how you had to learn how to be in position and in balance, and you had to learn how your center of mass toward how you were going, and it varied with speed and it varied with terrain. Skiing powder is completely different from skiing moguls, and I used to love teaching all that stuff. And here's the deal: I used to take when I would see people nine times out of ten, their basic challenge was their stance, and so I would do I would do these parameter teaching. I would have them try something very extreme over on this side with their body position or their hands, or sometimes I'd even have them unbuckle their ski boots and ski with no buckles buckled. Or on this side, I'd take them way over to this parameter, depending on their skill level, right? I wasn't killing people much. And uh, so parameters, does that make sense? You can take people to the extremes, and then they'll end up maybe in the center, right, right where the focus and the balance is. So I prepared a slide that talks a little bit, maybe help you understand kingdom culture a little bit by showing you parameters. And I think that's maybe the next slide. Yeah. So you may have to get up to see this because the print may be too small. So this is a, this is a continuum. This is not an either or. When it's, when it's a traditional church, it looks more like the things on the left. Man's design. When kingdom culture is in place and it's a kingdom-based church, it'll look more like that which is on the right. It'll slide more that way. And there are areas. It's never whole, it's never whole cloth. Maybe our worship experience looks more toward the right, but our policies and procedures may look more toward the left. You see what I'm saying? There's a continuum. It's like a person. A church is very organic. A church is not a business. The church is a corporate body. It's literally the body of Christ. But what we're trying to do is move Joy Church as fast as we reasonably can toward the kingdom side of the continuum in every aspect. You build my kingdom, I'll build my church. It's good for comparison. It's good to look at as a continuum. There's, it's not a right and wrong. It's not a good or bad. We're talking about people here. It's, well, sometimes we're more like this, sometimes we're more like that. It's, just, it's acknowledging it. That's what counts. It's knowing who we are and knowing who we want to become. God values people not according to how they behave. God values people according to the vision he created in the first place. The book of Ephesians says that you are a poem. He wrote a poem. He manifested you at a certain time, and he put your name on it. That's you. That's how he sees you. Colossians chapter 3 sees that, says that he sees us in Christ. Most versions say that we're hidden in Christ. That doesn't mean he doesn't see your sin and my sin and your shortcomings and all that. The book of Hebrews tells us clearly the opposite of that. But he doesn't treat us according to that. He treats us according to who we are in Christ. So none of this is don't put, please avoid to the best of your ability, putting value on this. Sort of like feelings. There's no such thing as a bad feeling or a good feeling. There's unpleasant feelings and pleasant feelings. In the sim, in a similar way, because God gave us feelings. In a similar way, church culture, please don't put a value judgment on it. He doesn't. This just looks, the, the right side of that continuum looks more like God's, the mind of Christ. Looks more like how things work in heaven. 
which is we're supposed to bring that into the earth. Did that make sense? This is what we're shooting for currently. We've come a long ways, but he has so much more for us. So much more. One thing many people love about man-designed church is sameness. And there's a lot good to be said about order, about predictability, about being served, about being fed, about a once a week gathering, about comfort, about I like what I like and I like what I am used to. There's a lot that's good about that. The thing is, man-made security, man-made comfort are not the church's role. You get that somewhere else. Whoever started the saying, church is a hospital, couldn't have gotten it more wrong. Those things are nothing like God. Christ, the Apostle Paul tells us that it is for freedom that Christ set us free. A hospital is good for what a hospital is good for. But it's not God's design for a church, or his design, or his role for his church. God's design and role are way better than that. God is way way better than you think he is. (laughs) God never sits still. The only constants in God are his nature and his promises. He knows the end from the beginning. That's a lot different from knowing the beginning from the end. He knows where he's headed. He knows how things are going to work out. He knows the end from the beginning, and he, in partnership with his church, are constantly working toward that. That's a God on the move. That's a God who's different every day, every minute of every day. That's a God who's very, very, well, wait a minute. He's not future-oriented. He's not even in the future. He's outside of time. Time is inside him. He's he's past. Yes, he's present. Yes, he's future. Yes, he's all those things because he's not in time. We see it as future. That's our perspective. God sees it as reality, present tense reality. We're just trying to get in step with that and help him create it. In the earth, in partnership with God. His perspective is not based in past, present, and future. God's church, if you want to see it a different way, because from our perspective, we see it as future. God's church operates the future in. No, God's church doesn't operate in the future. God's church operates the future in. The kingdom of God is at hand and is coming. It's what revival actually is, is bringing the future in. Reviving and enacting God's original vision and his original plans and his truth, way, and life. That's real revival. So here's what you're getting into. Call this due diligence. Here's where we're headed and how we're headed. This is slide seven. From what's now into real revival? We've been asking among ourselves a lot of questions. Let's have God-orchestrated gatherings. If God were to design a Sunday service, what would it look like? Probably something different every week. Because it's probably more like a family reunion. It's probably more like celebration. It's probably more like doing some stuff against the enemy. And I would imagine that's probably not very formulaic because God's not very into formulas. So, at least man-made ones. 
So as we go on week into week into week into week, whatever happened on a Sunday morning or a Wednesday night or a whatever time with Joy Church two weeks ago may look entirely different this week. Few people in the room have some idea of how many pies we have our fingers in right now around the region. We love starting things and bringing things and putting together things. What God wants to grow in terms of businesses and organizations and new innovative concepts is just crazy in this region. And he's doing it right and left. Oh, I can't wait to see some of these things either come to fruition or fall flat on their face, but we're going to try. We're going to try. He's a God, a God of the new. He's a very entrepreneurial God. One of the things I think God is so tired of is is this uh, somewhat anemic gospel that's being preached all over the place. I think he really wants some leaders of different sorts, not just me, but Quit hiding behind what people think. Be a lot less concerned about what you think of us and be a whole lot more concerned with what God really says. We've been way too... Don't confuse this with mercy. Mercy is not rewarding people's bad behavior. Mercy is not teaching coping skills. Mercy is not letting someone lay beside the road bleeding and running in and comforting them. That's temporary. Mercy ultimately is transformation. It's being with people. It's being with people. It's being with people just like Jesus. Meet their need and somebody earlier this morning quoted Jesus at to the woman, the, the, the well at Sychar, the woman at the well, when he said, yeah, I did all this stuff for you and talked about, you know, worship in spirit and in truth. And then what did he say? Don't go be your old self. He said, go and be different. Go and sin no more. Change, grow, transform. He said, go and make disciples. So we've really focused on discipleship, but it's going to get amped up way more. I need to be discipled. I'll never quit being a disciple. He always wants the better. He's always contending for my highest possible good. I need to be trained. I need to be taught. I need to change some mindsets. I need to grow. I need to transform. And I need to find people who are farther along down the path than I am in order to do that. And I need to submit to them. I need to be flexible, available, teachable, coachable. I also need to do the same thing. If I'm farther down the path than Joe, then I should run back and help Joe get where I am. And then if he gets past, and, I, and if Henry is discipling me, and Joe races past me and gets up to Henry, awesome! That's discipleship. Does that make sense? Good job. This really is what we're all about. Not just reformation, but revolutionary reformation. Because you see, what God wants for a church he's had before. We're not creating anything new. Yes, it's revolutionary, but it's been there before. And I'm not talking about trying to recreate the Acts Church. All of the things that made the Acts Church successful, sure, but no. I mean, if that's what God wants us to do, we'll do it, but I haven't heard that. First, 
you know, I've got to just take a tiny side trip here. Today is the what date of September. This is the 8th September that my wife and I have been at this church. The 8th one. Some of you in this room can't believe that. <laughs> my wife and I can't believe it. <laughs> what's Some of you who are Bible nerds, what's the number 8 in the Bible always represents? Beginnings, right. Yeah, exactly. We've completed a season, a seven-year season of tilling and building and changing and growing and cleaning and setting ourselves up setting the church up and now I, it's it's that season here's the weird thing this month 3 years ago one of the greater apostles in the earth that exists today came to this church and he set Sherry and me in place we were put in place and sent truly sent here some of you in the room remember that 3 years ago this month then we launched the church, relaunched the church, renamed it in the government a few a few months later in March of 2019. All at all times we had no idea this was true, but at every one of those occasions and there are more, it just so happens we didn't do it by design, it just so happens that they occurred during the same time as Jewish high holy feasts. Rosh Hashanah, the feast of booths, Sukkot, and so forth, every single time. Didn't occur to me until this morning, Yom Kippur is this week. The Day of Atonement. They blow, they send the ram. The Day of Atonement. It's a, it, I wish I had time to go into that more deeply. I don't. But that's what you're getting into. First thing this morning, I said, welcome back. I hope you now have a better sense of what church you actually came to. That's it. Ain't no turning back. We don't have a plan B. We landed on this shore and we burnt the ships. I have counted the cost. I'm willing to pay the price. I'm ready to pay the price. I want to pay the price. Why? I desperately want to hear Abba say to Joy Church and all that Sherry and I lead, Welcome back to my church. I want to hear that. We are here to serve him, to destroy the works of the enemy, to seek and save what was lost, to restore identity, authority, and responsibility to men, to women, to marriage, and to family, to manifest the kingdom of God, to bring the ways of heaven, to transform minds, people, and all those our tribe influences. That's what you're part of. This may sound like a harsh statement. Look into my heart. If you want the church of comfort, the church of liturgy, the church of sameness, the church of order, the church of predictability, the church of being served, being fed. That's not this church. I, Sherry and I, we've said this to dozens of people. We'll help you find your tribe. We want you to fit. We want you to be happy. This is not that church. So, if you'd like to know more, if you'd like to take a deeper dive into the deeper aspects and the theology behind what we're doing that I've been doing for 20 plus years now in business and other organizations, and the theology behind it, see me or reach out to me. I have several noted theologians and a number of books to which I will gladly point you.
I'm not some guy out there being the Lone Ranger bringing a radical different gospel. This is exceedingly backed up by profoundly well-known theologians and great books that we've spent a lot of time in. I desperately hope that you'll take me up on that. I cannot wait for you to go as deeply into this as we do. So with that, I think we have our last slide, maybe, or did I mess up? Look at that. We really mean that. The title of today's message was Church. God wants his church back. I'm going to read over you a benediction that I've read several times in several weeks, but I really think God means this. This is from your Heavenly Father. May the eyes of your heart behold the living expression of God, who became a man and lives among us. May you gaze upon his glory, the glory of the one and only who came from the Father, overflowing with tender mercy and truth. May the ears of your heart catch the whisper of your king calling. May you sense the fragrance of Holy Spirit beckoning. May the Lord give you images, visions, dreams of what this could look like for you. May the holy need God put inside you for connection, for a tribe, for belonging, for validation, for love, acceptance, forgiveness, and new horizons be amplified beyond resistance. May your courage and discernment grow and grow over time. May you reach beyond your tradition and your comfort for the touchable, tangible God. May the beckoning of your heavenly father become so real, so strong, so lovely, so powerfully, you fully and completely cave into it. May you, over the next many months, grow into a disciple who at all times carries joy unending, peace unshaking, authority unbendable, and power unstoppable. In the name of Jesus, I speak that blessing over you and your family and all that you touch. Amen? Amen. God is way better than you think he is. He's a good, good father. Church, go find him. Walk with him. And let's do it together. Amen.